Lord, to seal that in an answer to prayer. Our Father, we have just sing, sung that the power of the Lord is moving in this place and we pray that that will be our experience tonight. We look to you. Bless us as we open your word. Let it be a time with you in the spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're turning tonight to the book of Deuteronomy and chapter 34. Deuteronomy chapter 34. I've got to tell you, I'm quite excited about the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, It's uh, part of the law of Moses, of course, the last of the Mosaic books, the fifth book of the Pentateuch. And uh, archaeologists have recently said, we know what this is, because we're digging up things like this all the time. And they say it's like a Middle East contract, a, a covenant, as we would as say in Bible language, between a king and his servant. And it's what is called technically a suzerainty vessel covenant. And it starts off with a preamble, then it has a history of their relationship, then it has the terms of the covenant that have to be kept, the different laws. And then at the end, there's a, a rather somber bit, which is about the blessings or the cursings if you don't keep the covenant. And finally, uh, you end up with uh, an epilogue at the end. And they said, when we read the book of Deuteronomy, we see that's exactly the outline of the book of Deuteronomy. It starts off with a little preamble. Then you have the history of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. Moses repeats it. Then you have the law given again, the terms of the covenant. And then at the end, you have the blessings and the curses with Uh, the uh, epilogue at the end. So it's a very exciting thing to understand more about God's word as time goes on. And tonight we're looking at the last bit of that epilogue in chapter 34, the last chapter that Moses wrote. It says, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, which would be the Mediterranean, the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, But no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. And so the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. But since then, 
There has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh and before all his servants and in all his land. And by all the mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Please keep God's word open there. Now it's not often that we expect people to be converted at a funeral, is it? But uh, sometimes that is the result of what's happened. There's an interesting story uh, of a man by the name of Renton Baker. And Renton Baker was a man who was a good old-fashioned football thug. And when I say a football thug, I don't mean just one of the boys who drank a bit too much and maybe got a bit rowdy down the pub. I mean violence was his name and game. He uh, used baseball bats, knuckle dusters, and on one occasion he even used a menia to temporarily blind someone in an attack. He was a nasty piece of work. In fact, on one occasion, he was planning to murder someone, but his best friend saved him from committing that crime by warning the person, so they got out of the way in time. When he was 20 years old, he married a girl called Wendy. Wendy, who was a backslidden Christian, uh, came into his life, and at that stage, she wasn't walking with the Lord, but later she returned to the Lord and was restored to the Lord, thankfully. But after she was uh, restored, her father, who was a, a, a godly evangelical minister, he died. And they had the funeral for, Ren, uh, for her father. And Renton tells how the, this impacted him massively. He said, I walked into the church feeling naked and exposed as everyone knew about the things I had done. Listening to the minister's words about my wife's grandfather, I heard about this tough man for Jesus who had known God for 72 years. There was a personal challenge when the minister continued. If you cannot be affected by this man's life, you must be so cold and hard-hearted that you might as well walk into hell right now. That's straight talking in a sermon for the funeral, isn't it? That's what he said. And he said, I knew God was speaking to me. And praise the Lord, after the funeral, he sought out the minister to speak to him. And uh, he was led to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing to know that people can be saved at a funeral. In 2014, Barnabas uh, magazine and prayer diary recorded a prayer request for a Christian from Uzbekistan who was from a, a, a committed Muslim background. And one of the colleagues of this Muslim lady had become a, a, a Christian and had died uh, uh, sometime recently. And she was, was wanting to go to the funeral, but the Muslim leaders said, nobody must go to this man's funeral because he was a Christian. We don't want anybody to go to the funeral. And she thought, well, why would they oppose this man's funeral? Because he was such a good man. He lived such a good life. And she felt brave enough to defy the Muslim ban on this funeral. She went to the funeral, and according to the prayer diary, at the funeral, she heard the gospel and decided to give her life 
to Christ. So please pray for her. And uh, we just told her name is F. That's the letter of her name. So people can be saved at a funeral. And it's a wonderful thing, the impact of a great funeral. And a Christian's funeral, a believer's funeral, is different to a funeral in the world. This was crystallized to me uh, in my early pastoral life in my first church I had to take my first two funerals one on a Tuesday the next on a Wednesday the first was a funeral of a Christian lady who had a bright living testimony and the second was of a man who didn't want to darken the doors of a church because he wanted nothing to do with Christianity and I had one opportunity where I was able to say with hope the message of the gospel And the other one, I had to preach the message of the gospel and say, you know, I don't have hope about this man going to heaven. And he wouldn't have wanted me to say uh, that he was there anyway. It uh, It is something different, isn't it? You know, in the year 125 AD, a Greek by the name of Aristides wrote a letter to one of his friends about this new religion that was sweeping across the Mediterranean called Christianity. And it was their funerals that impacted him. He said, if any righteous man among the Christians passes from this world, they rejoice and offer thanks to God. And they escort his body with songs and thanksgiving, and as if he were setting out from one place to another nearby. Well, of course, we know that's exactly the truth. What a wonderful thing it is uh, when a believer dies and is a blessing there you know the bible says it's something special to the lord in psalm 116 verse 15 it says precious in the sight of the lord is the death of his saints and there's one saint especially who i think that must be especially true for because we have a very special passing of this saint and that is moses as we read about here in the book of deuteronomy chapter 34 And this is what I want us to talk about tonight, the death of Moses, because Moses was a great national leader, a leader who led the people in difficult days and led them to the Lord. We're also, as a nation, remembering uh, the passing away of Her Majesty the Queen. And uh, I think we have uh, uh, reason to be hopeful that she was trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ when she died. But here we have the death of Moses, which speaks to us. And I'm praying tonight that just as uh, the Queen's passing will cause many in our country to wake up. You know, a funeral can be a wake up and a shake up, can't it? Make people realise they're not not immortal. Or as Ray Comfort says, you know, none of us are inflammable. (laughs) And uh, we need to wake up and realise that life is temporary. I'm praying that the Queen's funeral will do that. And I'm praying that as we study the death of Moses, there'll be a similar blessing for us here tonight as well. For saints and sinners alike, let's see the value of this text. And I want to see four things about the death of Moses. Because in Moses' death, he was given a sight of the future in verses 1 to 4. He was given a supernatural finish in verses 5 to 8. He was given a spiritual follower who was Joshua in verse 9. And there's a special footnote about him in verses 10 to 12. So let's take in these things. First of all, Moses was given a sight of the future, which is what we see in verses 1 to 4. You know, a lady who was having difficulty with her eyes uh, went to see her optician. And the optician said, basically, he said, your eyes are weary. 
said, you're doing a lot of close work. And he said, your eyes are weary. He said, tell me, he said, uh, do you have a window in your office? She said, yes, I do. I have a window with a lovely view across the hills uh, to some mountains in the far distance. He said, good. He said, now, after so many hours reading, I want you to get up and I want you to spend some time looking out across the window at that far distant view because looking at that in the distance will relax your eyes and help your vision. Well, as Christians... We also have a sight of the future in the scriptures. And Moses was given a sight of the future himself at the end of his life. It was a very special thing that the Lord should bless this to him. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said the best moment of a Christian's life is his last one because it's the one where he is nearest to heaven. And this was true for Moses. Moses was given a very special moment of vision in verses 1 to 4, with a sight of the future for the children of Israel. We read in verse 1, it says, Then Moses went up from the, mount, from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And here Moses uh, is actually obeying his final command from the Lord. If you just turn back a page in the book of Deuteronomy, back to chapter 32, you'll see a command which actually the Lord gave Moses uh, a number of times in Scripture, in Numbers 27, in Deuteronomy 3, and here in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 48. Then the Lord spoke to Moses that very same day, saying, Go up this mountain of the Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, across from Jericho. View the land of Canaan, which I give to the children of Israel as a possession, as a possession and die on the mountain which you ascend, and be gathered to your people. Just as, your brother died on Aaron, just as Aaron your brother died on Mount Hor, and was gathered to his people. Well, God gave that command to Moses, and here we see Moses obeying that command. And in his final act of obedience, he goes up the mountain. It's a lovely thought to realise, isn't it? The last thing the children of Israel saw was Moses obeying God, and they saw Moses ascending, Mm -hmm. Moses climbing. And I love the old statement, he was last seen climbing. You know, I would love that to be true for all of us. You know, spiritually, last seen climbing, climbing spiritually, not going down, not backsliding, but going up. And he climbs up Mount Nebo, which is in what we would call today the land of Jordan. Now, if you go to uh, the Middle East and you go to the land of Israel, of course, you see the sites of the Bible. But if you go to the land of Jordan, you see some of the sites of the Bible as well, because in that part of the world, there were also battles and events which the children of Israel were engaged in. And you can see Mount Nebo. You can go to Mount Nebo and get to the top of it. And somebody has put there a a giant uh, brass snake on a pole in remembrance of Moses. And you can look across. That's the view Moses had across to the other side of the Jordan. The very place where this happened. And uh, Moses ascended that mountain on his own. He left Eliezer, he left Joshua And must have said, like Abraham of old, you know, you stay here, I'm going on on my own. (laughs) And he went up the mountain alone with the Lord. And when he got to the top, 
it says in verse 1, and the Lord showed him all the land. And it describes then the land of Israel as the Lord showed it to him. God gave Moses a vision of the land the children of Israel were going to possess. It was a panorama of, uh, of the land of the Bible where the people of Israel were going to be. Now Moses was uh, up here okay, on the other side and you can see he had mountain height and he saw across the valley here. And he saw then the length and the breadth of the land. And it would have been uh, possible to have seen a good percentage of this, but I have actually a belief in my heart that God aided him supernaturally to see it. A little bit like when we remember Satan tempted the Lord Jesus and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. You know, that was something supernatural. Uh, But here the Lord did that for Moses. And we're told here that the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan. Now Dan was way up in the north. They were the tribe that went north. It always makes me smile. Our friends Phoebe and the tribe of Dan, her husband, (laughs) they went up north to Scotland, didn't they? (laughs) And uh, well, that's, that's what the tribe of Dan did. So he saw the land of Dan up in the north. And all Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh. Naphtali is the land around the Galilee, Lake of Galilee and where the Lord Jesus grew up. So he saw the land where the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, was going to grow up. Then Ephraim and Manasseh, which is the central sort of hill country area there. And uh, that was the land given to the descendants of Joseph. Very precious land indeed. And then further down he saw the land of Judah, which is here, of course, where you have Jerusalem, the capital, and Bethlehem, where the Lord Jesus was to be born. And he saw as far as the Western Sea. He saw the Mediterranean here. He also saw, as we see in verse 3, the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho. And uh, the south is this part down here, just coming off the map, which is the desert. The south, the word for south is the Negev. And it's the desert in the south. And it's an interesting thing, in the land of Israel, the further north you go, the greener it gets. They get more rainfall in the north than in the south. The further down you go, it gets hotter and drier and uh, you have more desert-like regions because you're heading down towards Sinai and then down towards Egypt. But in this part here, we have the plains of Moab with Jericho on the other side, which was, of course, going to be the first place of Joshua's uh, conquest, the city of palm trees, as it's called, and as far as Zoar, which is on the top of the Dead Sea, uh, which was originally, I think, connected with Sodom and Gomorrah in the olden days. God gave him a supernatural vision, amazing sight of the future, the land that was going to be given to the people of God. Now, the Lord told him in verse 4 that this is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. And the Lord reminded Moses, I'm going to give this land to them because I have promised it by covenant to the three great patriarchs. It's very special because this verse brings all three together in one of the first times, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But the covenant of the land was given repeatedly to them. And he said, I will give it to your descendants. And he said, I have caused you to see it with your eyes. But, the sub-but at the end there is very sad. 
but you shall not cross over there. And you know, it's very sad because Moses couldn't actually go in the land. He could only see the land. And the reason was, you remember back in the story of the wilderness journeys, when the children of Israel had tempted, uh, tempted Moses and provoked him to anger, he had struck the rock for water twice when God had told him just to speak to the rock in Numbers chapter 20. And God said, because of your unfaithfulness, you will not be allowed into the land. So sin was keeping Joshua out of the land, but he was able to see it. Now here's the wonder of the gospel, right? Moses in the Old Testament wasn't able to get into the land. But you know what? 1,500 years later, he got into the land. You said, hey, I've never read that in my Bible. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. The Mount of Transfiguration. When Moses and Elijah appeared with the Lord Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration in the land. And what sin keeps us out of, the Lord Jesus Christ, by his saving mercy, can bring us into. And this is true with with heaven, you know. Sin keeps us out of heaven, but the Lord Jesus, by his saving work, can bring us in if we will trust in him. And this matters so much. And when we have a look then in the scriptures, we see the land of promise laid out before us. And it's such a wonderful thing. I love that story about the man who was walking through the graveyard and he saw written on the grave uh, by the path a, a particularly long epitaph and he went over to read it and he was interested. It said, remember friend as passing by, as you now are, so once was I. As I now am, so you will be. Prepare for death and follow me. The man thought, wow, that's a message. And then he thought about it and he got out a piece of chalk and he wrote underneath To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. (laughs) That was very wise. (laughs) You know what? We can follow the Lord Jesus into the promised land of heaven because he has gone before. And we can look in the pages of the Bible and have a vision of the future. And we can have heaven in our sights. Matthew Henry said, He whose head is in heaven need not fear to put his feet into the grave. So I hope you'll trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and find your hope of heaven in him, which will give you a sight for the future and enable you to face death when it comes for yourself. Then we see here a supernatural finish, which is verses 5 to 8. And what we see here in verses 5 to 8 is, is something remarkable about the death of Moses. One of the books I read uh, in preparation for this was a, a book from a series of books by Theodore Epp on the life of Moses. And he summarized this in this way. He said, Moses was not only great in his works, in his meekness and in his farewell, because he had a great farewell message, but he was also great in his death. And this is what we see here, God's peculiar honour to Moses, the servant of the Lord, uh, in his supernatural finishing of his life. And the details here are staggering. They're full of, of fascinating things. This is what really drew me to want to study this passage and preach it. And when I was praying, Lord, what shall I do? The Queen's died. What's the passage? And the laid it on my heart. I've been working on this. 
Now's the time to use it. And I was so excited. Because this is a passage which is amazing. I want you to see the supernatural finish. Notice the moment of his passing in verse 5. It says, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. The moment of his passing is absolutely supernatural. Now you say, well, where's the supernatural bit in there? He died according to the word of the Lord. The Lord had told him he was going to die. The Lord had told him he was going to die. Now, here's two miracles here. The first is the day on which he died. Because it was 120 years of age, as we're going to come to in just a minute. That was at the end to the day of the wilderness wanderings. But even more amazing to that, it was Moses' birthday. And this is provable even if we look at the book of Deuteronomy. I was amazed when I started studying this. Do you know the whole book of Deuteronomy was given in one day? One day. Now, it takes a while to read it through, and you think, wow, this must have been given over weeks. But it was given all in one day. Just turn with me to chapter 1 of Deuteronomy, and I want to just uh, show you through a few verses here. Go to chapter 1 with me. And I want you to have a look at verse 3. And this is where Moses starts the book and starts the message. Because originally it was a a message given uh, verbally to the people. And it says in verse 3, Now it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him as commandments to them. Uh, And then if you come down to verse, I think it's verse 9. No, it's not verse 9. Okay, well, there's another verse. I'll take you to chapter 31. Go on to chapter 31. Back towards uh, the other end of Deuteronomy again. You see, we've had the date on which it was given. And Moses kept saying on this day all the way through uh, this passage of scripture in chapter 31 and verse 2 Moses said and he said to them I am 120 years old today I can no longer go out and come in also the Lord has said to me you shall not cross over this Jordan so Moses is saying that it's my birthday today I'm 120 years old Today And this was the day on which he had been given the book. If you go down to verse 22, it says, Therefore Moses wrote this song, which is the song that comes in chapter 32, the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. In verse 24, so it was when Moses had completed writing the words of this law in a book, they were finished. And verse 27 uh, says, for I know your rebellion and your stiff neck. If today, while I am yet alive with you, you've been rebellious against the Lord, then how much more after my death? So you see the emphasis there is on that day. And then go over to chapter 32. In chapter 32 and verse 48. 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses that very same day, saying, go up this mountain of the Abarim, Mount Nebo, and uh, as we read earlier in verse 50, and die on the mountain which you ascend. So this was the very day which he gave the law of Moses, uh, the, the, the whole book of Deuteronomy. It was the 120th year of his life, and it was his birthday. Isn't that an amazing thing? God's timing in the moment of his passing. But I love it as well, the manner in which it happened, because if you look, it says he died according to the word of the Lord. Do you know in the Hebrew, the phrase for that, he died by the lips of the Lord. Now we would say he died by the word of the Lord. The the Jewish people say he died by a kiss from God. Isn't that an amazing thought? He died by the lips of the Lord, by the word of the Lord. And supernaturally, the Lord uh, brought about the passing of Moses to take him home. Then in verse 6, we have the mystery of his burial. It says, And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. You know, many saints uh, of God have wanted to have unmarked graves. John Calvin, the great German, uh, French reformer, for instance, wanted to be buried in an unmarked grave. And to this day, no one knows where it is. Well, that was what God's plan was for Moses as well. And the Lord buried Moses just as the Lord closed the door on the ark. The Lord himself was the undertaker for Moses' funeral. It wasn't left to his sons, uh, as it would have normally been to bury their father, but the Lord buried him, and he buried him in an unmarked grave where no one knows where it is to this day. Isn't that an amazing thing, to think the mystery of his burial, that the Lord himself buried this man of God? That was an amazing privilege, wasn't it? You know, the Lord Jesus was buried at the hands of sinful men. Joseph of Arimathea, although we would say he was a good guy in one sense, he was a sinner. But the Lord Jesus, uh, Lord Jesus was buried in him. But Moses was buried by God himself. That's an amazing thing. And no one knows where his grave is, other than the fact that the Lord buried him in the valley uh, of Moab uh, in, in that part there by Beth Peor. Now, there is one fascinating little clue in the book of, um, of Deuteronomy, roughly, not precisely where it is. Because if you look in, in the previous chapter of Deuteronomy 33, when Moses was giving the blessings on the different tribes, he gave a blessing to the tribe of Gad, which is one of the 12 tribes. And he said, blessed is he who enlarges Gad. He dwells as a lion and tears the arm and crown of his head. He provided the first part for himself, listen carefully, because a lawgiver's portion was reserved there. Now, who's the lawgiver? Moses. Moses was the lawgiver. And Rabbi Rashi and others believe that's a little hint that we know roughly where Moses was buried in the area of Gad on the other side of the Jordan in the area where it was uh, 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 previously 
known as Moab and Beth Peor. What a fascinating thing. But God kept his burial place secret and the Lord himself buried him. There was one other person there, by the way, actually two other people. If you read in the book of Jude and read Jude in verse 9, you'll find out Satan was there. Satan wanted the body of Moses and the archangel Michael was there too. And the archangel Michael rebuked him and denied him being able to take the body of Moses. No doubt uh, Satan wanted to turn it into a shrine for, for Roman Catholic type of worship uh, of the dead body of Moses. And God wasn't going to have it. He also was protecting it from his enemies uh, as well. But there we see also supernaturally the maturity of his age in verse 7. In verse 7 it says, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigour diminished. D.C. Wilson said, old age is looking into the mirror and saying, that's not me. (laughs) Well, Moses never had that experience because supernaturally God preserved him in health and strength right up to the very end of his life. Now, what you say... Is that possible? Yes, it's certainly possible. God can do that. And God often preserves people in strength until the time of their home call. But the point here for this is that Moses lived 120 years. That's longer than Joseph, who lived 110 years, you remember. And also longer uh, than, I think, Joshua, who lived 110 years. He actually died younger than his sister, uh, sister Miriam and his brother Aaron, who were, I think, 123 and 126, respectively. Uh, but he died at 120 years old. The point is this. He didn't die of old age. He died because God said it was time. And you know what? Our times are in his hands. And you may say, oh, old age is going to get me. No, the Lord's coming to get you. (laughs) And it will be when he's ready for you to go home, he will come. And his eyes were not dim. That's why he was able to see across and his natural vigour was not diminished. He still had strength given him. I love the 120 years as well because that's three lots of 40 years, which is the life of Moses in the three stages. First 40 years, he was a prince in Egypt. The second 40 years, he was a shepherd in Midian looking after Jethro's flock. The last 40 years, he was the prophet of God leading the children of Israel to the promised land. So the maturing of his age was a part of the supernatural finish. And finally, the mourning of his loss in verse 8. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. <clears throat> you know, in the olden days, when uh, boats were going away over to far off countries, people who were on those boats may not have come back to those countries. Again, you went on a sea voyage to America and it would take probably three months to get there and uh, people never knew if they would see you again. When the Moravians uh, went off to, to the mission field, they took their clothes in coffins. They didn't use suitcases, they took them in coffins because it would save them having to, to buy a coffin for later in life when they were there and they were planning on going to never come back. And, you know, sometimes death is a departure like that, isn't it? And 
this is what it was for Moses. Moses was leaving the children of Israel after leading them for these last 40 years. And God made them grieve and weep and mourn for Moses. Now that's an amazing thing in itself. Because if you remember from the book of Numbers how they talked talked about Moses, now they grumbled about Moses. <laughs> they, they complained about him, they said, let's get rid of him, let's go back to Egypt. But when the time came for him to go home, God touched their hearts, and they realised what a great man of God he was, and how he led them, and they mourned for him. Grief is the price we pay for love, they say. Well, the children of Israel certainly did in those 30 days of official mourning, which were like the mourning for Aaron. So what a supernatural finish to the end of Moses' life. And it's an amazing thing to see all these things coming together at the close of his life. You know what, you and I may not have a supernatural finish quite like Moses, but we can know God with us at the end of our life. And it can be supernatural in that way. John Wesley's last words on his deathbed were, best of all, God is with us. And that's true. I'd rather know that than know anybody else being with me when I come to leave this world. And you and I don't have to leave this world fearful of our circumstances if we know the Lord is going to be with us. And we don't have to leave it fearful of where we're going either. I like Baden-Powell's grave. Baden-Powell, the man who started the Scouts, Great hearing uh, uh, Bear Grylls on the radio the other day. Of course, the head scout now. Baden-Powell, who started the scouts, was a believer. He was a believer. And do you know, if you go to his grave, you'll see it hasn't got much other than his name, and it has a circle with a dot in the middle. And do you know what that is? That's the scout sign, the tracker's sign. And it means, I've gone home. I've gone home. Left the message for the scouts. I've gone home. And you and I can do the same if we trust in Christ. Then we see Moses was blessed in his death in that he had a spiritual follower afterwards. Verse 9. Now Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Someone said, rather cutely, that success is to have a successor. And God wanted Moses to have a successor to his leadership of the people of Israel. And interestingly enough, it wasn't his two sons. He had two sons who, if he had been a king, it would have been a dynasty, would have gone to to Gur, uh, uh, or his other son, whose name I can't remember. We read about him at the beginning of Exodus chapter, or at the end of Exodus chapter 2. It would have passed to them, but it didn't. It passed to Joshua, because Joshua was God's man to lead the people into the promised land. I was blessed when I read this in the Septuagint, because the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And you know what the word is for Joshua? It's the word Yesu. It's the word Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus followed Moses. And Jesus brings you into the promised land. Whereas Moses could only bring you up to it. And uh, it's a wonderful picture of what was going to happen in the gospel. But Joshua son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom for Moses had laid his hands on him. That had happened earlier on in the book of uh, Numbers and in 
we were told about it as well in the book of Deuteronomy. It was the first induction service, if you like, of a minister, where the previous minister laid his hands on him and imparted spiritual blessing and power uh, to God's servant as it was done in the Old Testament. And so the children of Israel heeded him as they had followed Moses. You know, it's a wonderful thing in God's work when there is a successor to follow on. One of the great missionary books I really enjoyed reading uh, was an unusual one. It's about a lady who's not so well known. Her name is Mary Aldersley. And Mary Aldersley was a missionary to China. She was one of the first missionaries to China. We all know about Hudson Taylor, who started the China Inland Mission. But you know, there was a a lady who independently went to China to work with ladies. She started the Monday meeting of China. Can I put it like that? And she was at work there. And actually, one of her girls was in love with a young man. And she said, he's not right for you. That was Hudson Taylor. (laughs) Turned out she got it wrong. (laughs) But uh, this lady, Mary Aldersley, she started this work among the ladies. And when she went to Ningpo, which was also where Hudson Taylor went, uh, when she went to it, she was thought she was a witch. And people said, don't have anything to do with her. They called her the Witch of Ningpo. But you know what? After time, they began to trust her. And she won the confidence of the people. And she led many, many ladies to Christ. And bear in mind, in those days in China, a lady's life was a a very difficult thing indeed. But as she grew older, she began to grow more and more weary. She never took a holiday all the years. She was working there as a missionary. And uh, the only fresh air she got was when she climbed a pagoda, got up above the smog of the city, and that was the only fresh air she ever got. And she began to find things were getting harder to do, and she realised that it was time for her to wind up her part of the ministry. But she didn't want it to come to an end because she knew the Lord had more work to do for these ladies. And she was concerned, who should she hand over to? In the book, it says this, she lists all the people. Mary Leask was married. Mary Dyer was married. So were Attie and Kit. Mary had trained several Chinese girls as teachers, but at that time it was not possible for Chinese women to carry on a school by themselves. Aunt Mary was tired and longed for a rest, but she must see the school in safe hands first. Then came the opportunity. The American Presbyterian Missionary uh, Society offered to take it over. And the Lord graciously came in and provided workers who would keep the work going, which they did. So she was able to retire. That was a wonderful, gracious thing of God to do. And this is what the Lord did for Moses as well. He brought Joshua in to lead the people in the end. You know, those of us who are in God's work, we ought to be praying for the next generation of leaders. And I often think, did Pastor Tucker pray for us here today? Did he pray for me? So one of the future pastors. Are we praying for the future leaders to come? God may bury his workers, but he doesn't bury his work. He buried Moses, but the work was to go on. And the Lord wants us to see spiritual followers to put the work into their hands. Let's also bear that in mind as parents. We have a Christian family. We want that to be a Christian dynasty. 
Let's pray for our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. Pray that they come to the Lord and walk with him, that the gospel may pass down the family line with the grace that we have received. Then finally we see in the death of Moses a special footnote at the end in verses 10 to 12. Because Moses' epitaph at the end of the book is like no one else's. It says in verse 10, But since then there has not risen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. In all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, before Pharaoh, before all his servants and in all his land, and by all that mighty power and all, that, all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. What an epitaph at the end. You know, lots of people get hung up about this and say, well, how could Moses have written that if he wrote the book of Deuteronomy? If, he's, if he died, how did he write that? Well, obviously it wasn't written by Moses. It was written by Joshua, his successor, who put the footnote in at the end. Unless Moses wrote it as a prophet, because it does say he was a prophet uh, of Israel. But the point is, he was said there, to be like no other person uh, who knew the Lord in such a way and knew such power. And you know what? There wasn't going to be another prophet like Moses for another fourteen to 1,500 years. Until on the Lake of Galilee, one day, a man stood up and he fed over 5,000 men and women and children with the bread and the few fish of a boy's lunch. And they said, is this not the prophet? Moses spoke of and they got ready to crown him as king (laughs) well it wasn't going to happen of course at that point but the Lord was the only one who had a greater uh, uh, legacy than Moses in the Bible and it's interesting even in the book of Revelation when we read in the worship in the book of Revelation it's the worship of those who sang the song of Moses and the Lamb it's an astounding thing isn't it Those two are put together. Of course the Lord is greater by far, but Moses was given such a special footnote at the end here. And you know, life is uh, something that we want to leave a legacy from, isn't it, afterwards. Somebody has said we're writing a, a gospel, a chapter a day, by the words that we do and the deeds that we say. Men will read what you write, whether faithless or true. Tell me, what is the gospel according to you? Our lives are leaving a legacy for others to live. Scholars have looked at the life of John Wilkes Booth, who was the man who shot uh, President Lincoln that fateful night uh, when he was at the opera, shot him in the back of the head. And they have studied and found that Booth wanted to be an actor and he wanted to be one of the greatest actors there had ever been. And they're now persuaded that Booth thought this was going to get him fame and and, an appraisal from men for his greatest performance. How twisted and confused in his thinking. He wasn't actually left a legacy of being a great actor. He was left a legacy of being a great murderer. What a terrible thing that is. You know, we want to have a right legacy and we need to pray that the Lord works in our lives to let it speak of Christ so that others see the Lord Jesus Christ and they come to know him. Like that lady at that funeral, uh, the funeral of the, the, Muslim, of the man who became become a Christian in Uzbekistan. 
I pray that God will give us footnotes like that at the end of our lives too. And I just want to sum up by saying this. We've looked at the death of Moses and it's a very wonderful thing. But you know what? There's an even greater death we've read about tonight, earlier on in the children's talk, and that is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever contrasted the death of Moses and the death of Jesus? Moses died alone from men, but with God. The Lord Jesus died with men, because he was numbered with the transgressors, but he died saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Moses died for his sin, for striking the rock, but Christ died for the sins of others, for you and me. Moses saw the promised land before he died. Christ saw the promised people before he died, and he will see the travail of his soul after he's died and will be satisfied, as Isaiah says. Moses died an old man, 120 years old. Christ died a young man, 33 years old. Moses left one man in charge, Joshua, left him in charge of the 12 tribes. The Lord Jesus left 12 men in charge of his one mission to take the gospel into the world. It was 1,500 years before Moses was seen again on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was three days before Christ was seen again when he rose from the dead. Moses died and will possibly die again according to Revelation 11 because he's possibly one of the two witnesses that will come back uh, in the days of the tribulation as we see in that great chapter. But Christ died once for all to bring salvation to all who will trust in him. I want to ask tonight, whose death are you trusting in as we close this service? There's a man in France whose name was André Francois Raffray. And he wanted to buy a flat off a lady. She was an old lady and uh, he thought that he could do a dodgy deal. And he said to her, look, I'll pay you £500 a month until you die, if you'll promise the flat goes to me afterwards. She agreed. He didn't know how long she was going to live. <laughs> and actually, she died after him. And he actually died having paid £184,000 for an apartment he never occupied. You know, some people are paying, paying, paying all their life to try and get heaven, trying to earn it by their good works, and they will never get it that way. The only way is to trust in the one who's paid it for us, the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And I pray tonight that you and I will be found doing just that.